Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Belgian Football Podcast. My name is Ben Jackson I'll be your host for this one and it's another two-man game. Uh, this time Joris is actually on holiday so yeah enjoy your holiday Joris. Um, just me and Scott this time. Scott how are you doing this evening? I'm not bad how are you Ben? Hello everyone. Fantastic. Yeah, just to kind of, you've probably not heard any intro music or anything like normal. Uh, Yoris is the man that normally does that. So this is kind of like the stripped back acoustic set version of of the podcast where actually me and Scott, can we can't really make any mistakes <laughs> because we have no <laughs> idea how to edit this thing. So <laughs> fingers crossed, we'll get through it smoothly. Um, it's like that thing, going. isn't it? Um, it just reminds me, you warning everybody about there being no music this week for circumstances out with our control. This just reminds me, this is like this thing in, in soap operas where, you know, when a character dies and as a mark of respect, they have no music <laughs> or anything like that. So, you know, Yoris is coming back, we promise. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's not left us, that's for sure. Um, he had lots to celebrate, actually, this weekend. Let's dive into the fixtures. Um Genk opened up on Friday with a 4-1 win over Charleroi. So yeah, yours can enjoy that one. Mechelen threw away a two-goal lead over Zoltaralagem. That one finished 2 all. Salang threw away a one-goal lead, if you can say that, against St. Luden. They lost at home again, two goals to one. Circle of Bruges left it late to beat Leuven 2-1 as well. Erpen with a surprise result. They beat Standard after a couple of red cards in that one. That one finished 2-0 to the Pandas. Ghent won 2-0 against Club Bruges in a Masters game on Sunday afternoon. Union left it late, as they always do. They came back to draw 1-1 against Vestalo at home. Antwerp and Anderlecht drew 0-0, but it was certainly a better game than a 0-0. And then Oostend rounded off the weekend with a 3-1 win over Kortrijk and a first win for Dominic Thalhammer in charge of Oostend. Let's start with Genk then, and it was all about Paul Onowatu. Who else? I think that's 12 goals in 13 games now. Um, he scored all four in this one. And I think he didn't score his first goal, if I looked back properly, until October the 1st. Obviously, he was out with injuries and stuff like that. But since October the 1st, he scored 12 and he's now top scorer, kind of back where he probably thinks he belongs. It's been a ridiculous, ridiculous month and a bit for Paul Onowatu. So yeah, he got the ball rolling with a penalty in the ninth minute. He then converted a really nice set piece uh, from Mike Tressel, a lovely, lovely cross in the 35th to head that one home. Uh, Pencil then crossed for his third in the 71st minute, and then he rounded it off with a goal in the 95th. In between that, Dan Heermans did actually get one back. Really lovely cross from Adam Zorgan to the back post, and Heermans kind of tapped it in there. But Scott, the Genk train just keeps on rolling on. They're guaranteed to be top whatever happens by the time of the World Cup. And I guess you can say job well done for them. 14 wins, one draw and one defeat. I mean, you couldn't have asked for anything better to start this kind of first half of the season. Yeah, they're really motoring now. And I remember asking her, Yoris, uh, who's probably going to come up quite a lot tonight since he's not with us, but um, remember I asked him a few weeks ago about whether he felt, you know, Genk could really build on, you know, the, the good start that they'd had at that point, he was saying probably rightly that it was far too early. Well, I think questions now have to be asked of the other teams as to, you know, are they going to be able to catch them? Because it's kind of at the stage now where, I mean, look, look at it from a club's perspective. Um, club are now, um, what, 11 points um, behind kind of Genk. And that's even taking the points halving and the playoffs into account. That gap is now such that it cannot get any more than that. Otherwise, you would probably be out of it. So, um, you know, if you're out of ranking, you're very frustrated with this annoying World Cup coming up because you don't want this break. You want to keep going. And they've got that one thing that a lot of sides would love to have, and it's just lots of creative outlooks. Um, Paul Onoacho, you mentioned, I mean, that's the first time he's ever scored four goals in one game in his career. So that's a, a remarkable personal stat for him. Uh, 12 and 13, as you were saying. Um, he's actually got, uh, I think, now 80 goals and 125 appearances for, for Genk, which is an extraordinary stat as well um, in itself. And we know what a big confidence player he is. Had a quiet start to the season and, and Vranken obviously was, was kind of confident that he just needed a bit of time. And he is one of these players who, once he tends to get one or two, the, the, the floodgates tend to open, um, as they did literally for him, for him in this game. Um, couldn't quite match the feat of the, the five that Michael Frey got um, in the one 
one game last season, but um, you can't complain with 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 four, and they're definitely the side to watch at the moment and the side to catch. And the question is, are the other sides, particularly the other sides in playoff one just now, are they good enough to do that? Yeah, absolutely, and I think it's it's quite an interesting, isn't it, to kind of contrast their form with Antwerp's form, just because Charleroi played those two back to back, and kind of how well Charleroi did play against Antwerp at home, but then they go away to Genk, and it's just you can't stop them when they start going. I think Pencil's been been really great. Um, he's still got some flaws to his game, but he's been really really good. And I haven't seen. I don't know if the Ghana squad's been announced yet, but. You'd be shocked if he wasn't in it, given his form this season. Um, unfortunately, Mike Tressor isn't going to be in the Belgian squad, which it's a bit of a shame. Um, obviously, there's so many good players in there. And there's been loads of people being like, loads of clubs have been complaining about players not being in there. I know Ronnie Dyler was complaining about standard players not making the 55 and all that <laughs> sort of stuff. It's like, yeah, I get it. You want some recognition, but also like, let's look at the talent that is in this Belgian squad. Um but still, um, a, yeah, another great result for them. Yeah, like I said, they just kind of keep motoring on. And yeah, I guess in, from club's perspective, it's just, they yeah, they don't want that gap to get any bigger. Um, but then last year, we've seen that once they got a bit of momentum following kind of the winter period of the transfer window and the break there, they then did catch up with someone like Union. And it's like, are Genk going to be able to sustain it for longer than Union could and did, um, which you, you you probably would expect them to just in terms of kind of players that have played at the higher kind of top thing. And it's not like as big a surprise as Union and stuff like that. But I definitely think they'd be wise in January just to add a little bit to the squad to go for the title push and make sure they keep Paul on Oachu. I think that's just a given at this point. I mean, I know they've got Nemet and Samata and they were winning with Nemet up front regardless like until Onowatshu came back. But the way he's just banging the goals in, you just you just don't want him to leave. You want him to stay because, I mean, the way he's going, he'd probably get to that hundred mark by, by the end of the season uh, if he's already on that eighty of one hundred twenty odd games. So, yeah, fantastic win for Genk. Just a really good statement, I guess, to start the weekend from them. Uh, let's go to Mechelen uh, for their game against Oldenburg again. Uh, yeah, I quite enjoyed this one. Uh, Louis Boston was fantastic for in the first half. Him and Tambadou were kind of keeping Mechelen at bay for a lot of kind of the first 15 minutes. And the first goal for Mechelen, oh, it was great. It was one of those proper set like set pieces from the training ground. Uh, Jeffrey Herrmann's with a cross to the edge of the box. Big of a starters there just to volley it into the bottom corner. Great kind of finish there. They couldn't get their second till the 41st minute. Like I said, Boston was doing really well to keep them out. Uh, Results of that game did have a couple of chances. Vossen with a bit of a tame shot, a couple of headed chances as well. But really good work from Julian and Goy. And unfortunately, uh, Tanzanian teenager Novatis Dismas, who's been kind of transitioned from a central midfielder into a left back so far this season, uh, he got an own goal. At that point, Tina to Mechel and Stephen DeFord said this was a really important game. We need to win this one, given kind of the situation both sides are in. But once again, we kind of we saw this from Mbaye against Kortlaik, where at half time he's he's not afraid to make some changes. Um, he brought off a four, um, and he brought on Mamadou Sangare, and I just felt like he's this, that shift just completely changed the game. I think a four's a bit more of kind of I don't want to be harsh on, but he's a bit more kind of he's more of the physical side of the game. That's what he does. He kind of like gets in and around and like uses his, his strength kind of to push people around. Whereas Sangale is a little bit more technical. And I think that's what they needed to play in between the lines. And it was Sangale who got the kind of first goal for Zotavar again to get them back into the game. Um, really nice kind of finish from him. Good cross from Ali Fadela. He was just on side. It was really, really close. Um, and yeah, at that point, Zotavar again had, kind of completely back in the game. Mechelen have just been, they're just, they were a completely different side in the second half. They were really, really kind of lacking any sort of attacking verve and, and style there. Um, and then they gave away a penalty. I think it was Vistata actually who gave it away, kind of a handball in the box. Slightly <laughs> unfortunate, but it was just kind of, it was a penalty and even he he knew. Uh, Yelivossen stepped up, made no mistake from the spot. 
And at that point, you thought Zoltavagem are going to go on and win this. They were having chances. They were creating. They were playing really well. They were kind of all over Mechelen. And then Abdullah Sasako gets himself sent off in the 75th minute with a bit of stupid tackle. Um, <laughs> just so unnecessary when you think they've got themselves back into the game. At that point, the next 15 minutes is just kind of Mechelen looking for that goal, which they just couldn't find. Um, so it, an interesting one, I think, Scott, in this one, and the fact that both sides are probably disappointed. Mechelen obviously disappointed they went 2-0 up, threw it away, and then couldn't capitalise on 10 men. So it's a game probably quite frustrated they got back into the game with a better side, then went down to 10 men, and that kind of cost them any chance of really winning the game. Yeah, that's a really good summary of the narrative of this game, actually. I think Mechelen did throw it away, really. I mean, I, I, you shouldn't really be 2-0 up against, you know, a side who, who are who are bottom or where when this game kicked off anyway. Um, you know, and 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 in the end, just be kind of lucky enough, I suppose, to, to kind of get a point. Likewise, Zalta will feel um, really frustrated not to have won it. Like you say, I think the red card was probably what swung it um, back slightly in Mecklen's favour in the end. I think the, ch- the, the, the chances of Zalta going on to win this if they'd kept everybody in the pitch, I think, were probably decent. Um, great tactical change, as you were kind of, you know, describing um, at halftime. Really, really important. Um, Singari's actually, he's He's a really good young player, I think, who we've not seen the best of yet. I, I was quite excited when he came in in the summer. I thought, oh, that's an interesting one. And I do remember saying um, way back at the start of the season that, that that would be one to kind of keep an eye on from a Zulta perspective. And, and you know, this is this is the perfect example of, of, of why. Um, and Embiley actually showing what, what a decent coach he actually is. I mean, don't don't let the fact he's um, at a side who are, who are struggling generally um, disguise the fact that, you know, he's a very capable coach. Um, and his points haul at Zulta is actually better than his, his, his points haul at um, Standard as well, uh, which is kind of interesting too. So when you dig deeper, he's, he's doing a better job there than he did at Standard as well. When you look at some of the data, which is kind of pretty flabbergasting. But um, yeah, I mean, this is a game that, yeah, yeah very frustrating to go 2-0 up and then to throw it away from, from a Mecklen perspective. And Zulta actually were, in one of our favourite words again, very efficient. They were really efficient in this game. Um and and did a lot with with the ball. Um, their 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 use of a uh, rotation was was very good with the ball. I thought, and if they can keep doing more of what they they did in this game, then they they will stand a chance. Their form has seen a, a small upturn in terms of the performances recently. Maybe not in terms of the points uh, hauls, um, but some some small green shoots. I would say from a Zulta perspective, which I think is probably the biggest takeaway for them. Yeah, absolutely. And both sides' next games are actually massive. I know it's just before the World Cup, so they're all kind of big games. But Zulta Maragam against Urpen, who are kind of just above them from the relegation zone at home as well. Like, that's a massive game. Charlotte against Mechelen. Like, Charlotte are in the relegation battle at this point. There's no two ways about it. They're only seven points off the drop, only one win and five, not playing well. Like, that's a great opportunity for one of these two sides to really kind of pull themselves out of it and push a little bit further up, like the likes of Circle Bruges have done in pushing themselves further up as well. Um, and that's not the game we're going to go to next. I'm going to go to Salang instead. I thought I'd done a nice transition there, but I didn't. <laughs> we'll go to Salang. They changed manager, out with Jules Jamps, uh, in with Legros, obviously his assistant taking over. No Marius Muandil Maggi uh, for them in this one, which, yeah, it's just kind of like a, it's a big blow not having him. But they did take the lead, but only after Stephen Vui had been sent off. Um, not so that's going to do his chances of getting into the Cameroon side any good, even though he was actually called up, which I thought was quite surprising because he's not really played much for Salang since moving over. But yeah, he got sent off in the 44th minute for a second yellow, which like, picking up two yellow cards in the first half is never a good thing. Um, but Wagner got the opening goal for Salam. Long ball from Gallier. Um, I think it was Poati running onto it. His shot wasn't kind of well saved from Daniel Schmidt, kind of spilled it a little bit. Gonzalez was there to fumble, I guess you could say, in the rebound. At that point, you're like, well, hang on. Salang haven't won at home, but maybe the change of managers worked. But with 10 men, it was always going to be difficult. And I felt St. Tudor in the second half just they needed to just wake up and get going. Um, <clears throat> I thought their kind of 
formation was quite interesting. Like Bauer was straight back into the team after his red card, which I thought was interesting. I thought, given how well Janssens has played as a centre-back, they'd keep him there. But they shifted him to the right, dropped um, Hashioka, which was quite interesting. Um, but it was Hayashi who got them back into the game. Bokat, again, with another assist. I think that's his second assist in two or three games now. And he just needs to start adding that to his game because he's been performing really well. Joris pointed it out a couple of weeks ago how impressed he was with the man that came over from Musclon and wholeheartedly agree. I think he's been fantastic on that left-hand side. His little pullback into Hayashi, he just he shaped his body so well to finish this one. Looked really, really confident putting that one into the far corner. That was the 77th minute, 79th minute, since Houdin were 2-1 up. Who else but Gianni Bruno. You start him, he scores goals. That's his message to Bernd Hodderback at least. And that's how it finished for St. Houdin, who, thanks to that second half performance and probably playing a Salang side with 10 men, will be kind of relieved they got out of there with that win. Um, the result at the end, that puts St. Houdin into the playoff two spot, two wins out of two and beaten in three. Salang, that's four defeats in a row. They're bottom of the league. And Scott, I think it's, is it almost safe to say that's probably where they're going to stay from now? I think that is, they had that kind of brief period of being, that they're still competitive in games, but this game and kind of some of the other ones, they're just really trending in that direction we thought they would be trending in. It's really, really difficult for them because, you know, we've been saying a few times recently that they're not playing too badly, you know, for, for good chunks of games. And actually, in some of their recent games, they've they've taken the lead. They've scored first and not been able to to hold on to it. Um, they were uh, they had an extremely good win in the, the Cup last night, actually. They actually uh, battered Charleroi, who are having troubles of their own, of course, um, at home. And nobody really saw quite as emphatic a victory as they did in the Cup. So, um they, they, they'll keep plugging away and there seems to be kind of a, a reasonable kind of team spirit there. Um, but yeah, I think they're going to be, um, it's going to go right to the wire, this relegation battle. We've known that for a long time uh, with the three sides going down. Um, it's highly unlikely that any of the sides in the bottom three at the moment are going to go on a run that, that's going to mean they're going to completely pull away from this. Um, so yeah, I think they're they're stuck in the mire um, until the end and and I'm going to hope that they can, they can squeak out out of it. Um, from St. Truden's perspective, I think um, for a second week running, it's really the kind of Gianni Bruno story. I mean, we were talking last week about how how good he's been for them, uh, what a good player he is generally. I think he's now got 7-13 and 13, um, for, for Hollerbach and the Canaries, um, and that isn't bad at all. Um, and he's finding his kind of shooting boots at kind of a, a, an important time for them, as you were saying. They've now squeaked into a playoff two spot. Uh, which they narrowly missed out on on, on last season. Um, you know, and if you've got somebody, you know, as good as Gianni Bruno on decent form, which he really is, then, you know, you're going to always have a chance of winning matches and he's proving to, to, to really be the difference. And his form is such now that it's very difficult not to start him in games. For a while he wasn't starting, uh, which I think, to be honest, was probably more down to lack of fitness than it, than it was anything else. Um, but now that he's he's starting to produce the goods, it's going to be very difficult to to leave him out on a, on a regular basis. And if he can keep performing at the level he's at, then you know they can they they can push on. I mean, looking at playoff two at the moment, there's only four points separating Ghent in fifth and and St Truden in eighth. So, you know, St Truden will be looking at that and thinking, well, if we can maintain this form, there's no reason why we can't can't push on um, and and do as, as as well as possible, especially with kind of club dropping some points recently so well deserved win for St Truden on the whole you know m much the better side uh, much the more efficient and, and clinical uh, which is no surprise when you know they probably had more firepower options on the pitch than Sarang did really Yeah I think it is that there's that lack of firepower in Sarang especially without Mohand Maji. Uh he has been their kind of go-to striker at the moment and when he's not there um, they, they're just not as effective and physical up top Um yeah, speaking of playoff two, let's let's go to circle circle of Bruges against Leuven, and this one is a tale of basically two sides who are just kind of trending in completely different places, and it, it was quite apt that they met at this point. Um, Leuven going into this with no wins in four. Circle, obviously, we know on that really really good run, um, and it was that man Ayasi Ueda. Uh, he is in some good form before the World Cup. Not sure how much he will feature, but. 
I mean, it'll be great to see him get get some proper proper game time for the Japanese national team, uh, just because of the way he's playing. Like when we spoke to Carlos Savina, he was saying how like fitter, much fitter he is. He's recovering better. He just has really kind of adapted and pretty quickly, you have to say, to the league now. Um, and it was him, yeah, Thibaut Sommers, typical kind of Thibaut Sommers, just kind of not giving up on a play, getting the ball across to him. Really, really nice finish from where he just kind of bullied the centre-back there. His physicality, I think, is really underappreciated when you look at him. Um, but he has got that in him to kind of push players around. Um of course, Leuven did get back into it and the only player that's really banging the goals in at the moment, Mario Gonzalez, what a signing. He has been on loan. Um, really, really nice finish actually from him after a Casper Denor pass through kind of not the best of defending from Circle, but one of those defenders definitely made up for it. Christian Ravic, uh, I think it was only his third game for the club uh, or maybe his third start for the club. Um, and yeah, what a, what a little... Lovely little kind of 91st minute winner from him at the back post after a set piece. He looked absolutely delighted. Uh, I'm sure Circle Blue should be quite happy that two kind of youngsters had an impact on this game in Sommers and Ravic, kind of homegrown talents in that sense. Um, so Circle win, um, which puts them level on points with Lerven. But when we look at the last five, yeah, it's three defeats and two draws for Lerven, but it's four wins and one draw for Circle Bruges. And I messaged... Uh, the group afterwards after this game saying that was kind of in my mind these two sides are gonna they're gonna go they're gonna kind of go in different directions at the moment like circular are gonna kind of be pushing into playoff two and I think Lerven are just kind of kind of sit in that kind of middle pack um especially on the form at the moment like circular do just look really really good and really really hungry and they're probably a little bit like Genk Scott they really don't want this World Cup break to come uh because they're playing so so well and give it a couple more weeks they could be solidly in playoff too if like we didn't have to have the world cup break yeah they're on a really good run of form at the moment actually and you know speaking of the break that maybe they don't want um they are actually going away on a warm weather training camp um for sort of uh, i think seven to ten days or so uh, during the world cup so they're not um taking their foot off off the gas at, at all um they're going to go away a uh, warm weather training camp kind of work hard obviously most of the players um you know w- will be at that camp um you know not not a lot of players away at the world cup obviously aida um you know who hopefully will do well while he's away but yeah they, they're going to be working very hard to, to kind of maintain the levels that they've set not a lot between the two in this game actually really um which isn't unsurprising, I suppose, you know, but both sides, um, you know, w- when they play well, play play good football. And tactically, I think this was an interesting game as well. But, you know, it's that fine margins thing that just shows you what happens, you know, if you do keep going right to the end, keep pushing and don't take your foot off things. Um, sometimes, you know, you, you, you know, it's a cliche, but you create your own luck, you know, you create opportunities, which, you know, and, and circled, you know, kind of managing to, to nick it at, at the end, which Levin will be very, very frustrated about. Having said that, I mean, when you go away and look at some of the numbers, Circle were much better aerially in this game. So from a set-piece perspective, um, they were kind of reasonably dominant in this game, I thought, you know, um, particularly aerially. Um, you know, they were winning a lot more in the air than than than, than Leuven were. I think it's slightly concerning from a Leuven perspective, the kind of downturn in their recent form, as you were alluding to, because they had such a strong start, uh, which now seems to have come to a bit of a juddering halt. A couple of weeks ago, we were talking about how they, they, they weren't picking up as many points, but they were still playing reasonably well. Um, well, that's starting to turn a little bit now as well. Um, yeah, kind of opposite opposite trajectories, and and just need to see what happens there. I mean, I think there's a little bit of pressure on Mark Bryce now. Dare I say it, just because of that slight downturn and in, in form despite performances. Um, and although I think there's enough obviously daylight between them and that the sides really struggling at the moment, it's I mean, Urpin who are sitting just above the bottom three on on fifteen are not a million miles away from from Leuven and ninth on twenty two. So it shows you, you know how wildly wildly competitive this 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 league is yeah absolutely i think in my mind they they we, it was weird because at the beginning of the season we were like mm, they don't look strong but now they've got gonzalez banging them in i look at them as a 
I think I look at them as a club that should be always pushing for playoff two. Like that's kind of how I picture them. I think they've got the resources to do that. Unlike these last two seasons, like the first season up, obviously it's slightly different. Like settling mid tables fine, settling last year mid tables fine. But I think I wanted to see them kind of push on. So I think for them, it's kind of the opposite circle, isn't it? They the break's coming at a good time for them just to kind of reset, rest, probably maybe bring in some more players I don't know uh, there's like there is some competition for places in that squad um and some there are some very decent players in there I think obviously they were missing a couple of their defenders uh for this one through like kind of injuries and suspensions so that'll be rectified and maybe that will improve things a little bit but yeah they're definitely kind of one of those teams that's probably happy that the break is coming when it is um let's go to the pandas then open you mentioned them there Scott and I think it's, technically, this could be a surprise when you look at the table, but when you look at how standard play against lower-ranking teams, this probably isn't a surprise result. A um, couple of red cards as well to mention. Uh, Philip Zinkanago got another one, so I think it's his second of the season. He looked absolutely like shocked that it happened, but I think I saw this one. I think I can't quite remember how it happened, but I remember thinking at the time that probably was. You can see why the referee gave it, but I felt like there was another one later on in the weekend that wasn't given that was very similar so kind of weird how that happens um then um Jerome Durham comes on in the 62nd minute sent off in the 66th minute a four minute cameo from him which is just <laughs> hilarious so beat that. beat that if you can anyone yeah, exactly. <laughs> like you always want you you're sent on to get sent off at that point aren't you um however then standard did give away a penalty in the 78th and Urban's best player this season just hands down, Steph Peters stepped up to dispatch that. Absolutely no doubt when he stepped up that that was going to go in. And then Jeji Gassama, the man on loan from PSG, uh, he scored the counter-attack goal to basically seal this one. Really, really nice goal, actually. Uh, cutting in from the left-hand side and curling it into the bottom corner with his right foot. Really good atmosphere in the open end at this one. We, we used to watch an open end, not being many fans there. Obviously with standard Liège coming, it's kind of quite low. It's They're like almost their nearest team. So they like to call it a rivalry. Not sure how important it is for standard Liège, but I could be completely wrong on that. But in my mind, it's not obviously not as big as kind of Anderlecht, maybe even like a, it's more in the, in the realms of a Sarang rivalry, I guess we could say, but open. Yeah. Fantastic win for them. They really did need that given some of the results that went on around them. It means they're now, three points above that kind of relegation zone. Ends a run of two defeats in a row as well. Brings a couple of teams above them a little bit closer in. Like I said, they've got Zolt of Aragem next week, which is a massive game. But for Standard, it's that, it's that same old thing at the moment. It's really weird. Like They just do struggle against these lesser, I guess we could say, teams. Next week, they've got Union to finish off and you just kind of expect them to win that or play a completely better, give a completely better account of themselves and better performance, don't you? Yeah, it's really weird this thing, and this is something we spoke about a few weeks ago as well. This 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 habit that they seem to have this season of dropping points against sides that they wouldn't expect it and that not many people would expect them to. They've actually performed really well against um supposedly big sides. That's how I'll refer to some of them. Um the sides that you know you really have to kind of up your game and, and motivate yourself for. You know, they've they've done really well in those games, but not been able to match those performances against sides like Open, who you would expect them to take the points off and it'll be really frustrating for Ronnie Dyler that really frustrating because you know when you look at the table as you were saying you know they could you know they they, they could really have closed the gap on, on on Club Bruges this weekend a little bit and just push that little bit closer to a playoff one spot as well so it'll be hugely irritating to him um, I saw a little bit of his, uh, his, his address to the, the team in the dressing room um, after this game because they, they released some of the footage um, later on and although he was very disappointed in, in tone he clearly made a decision that you know he wasn't going to give them the hairdryer treatment 
um, because he felt probably it would be counterproductive, probably right. Um, and his basic message was, look, you know, not not great, but let's move on. There's a big cup game this week, and you know, win- winning the cup is you know a great a great chance of a trophy. Um, take that seriously, and a great chance of, of of kind of European football as well. So he was immediately refocusing on on something positive and just trying to kind of forget about that kind of quickly. There wasn't a great deal in this game actually. Um, it, it was kind of won by a bit of quality. Um, you know, when I say quality, I mean Steph Peters, who, you know, has always been a really, really good player, and ironically, uh, could could have been a standard Liège player. You know, there was some interest in in um, Steph over a long period of time by standard Liège, and and you know, a, an agreement couldn't be couldn't be reached. So it's kind of ironic we're singing his praises after, you know, after standard being the the visitors in in, in this game. Gassama's goal again was just pure, pure quality. Actually, a lovely run and a brilliant, brilliant finish. Um, real delight on the the open bench when when they managed to seal that as well. Um, Standard shouldn't be too downhearted by this because I think the bottom line is I think if they can address this issue of dropping points against sides that they really shouldn't, no offence to Oipen and, and other sides um, who they've dropped points against who they probably shouldn't, if they can address that somewhat, um, then we we know looking at the table they would be in a much better position um, and there are slow but significant improvements there week on week it feels. They, they just need to kind of keep all of the players on the pitch as well because that 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 never helps. Yeah, the disciplinary issues definitely do not help, and the suspensions that follow can be quite frustrating. Um, let's move to Sunday, and probably one of the bigger biggest games of the weekend was Ghent against Club Bruges. I don't know what it is about playing Club Bruges, but Ghent just suddenly seemed to play really, really nice football, and they're really, really entertaining to watch. So it's just like they just suddenly decide to turn it on. Um, <laughs> Obviously, this game is massively overshadowed by just stupid incidents off the pitch, but let's focus on on the pitch for now. And it was Hugo Kuipers who got the party started. Jordan Tullinaliga just allowed to waltz into the Club Bruges half, play a ball just right down the side of Dedrick Boyata. Uh, Kuipers running off him, lovely run from him, and beautiful finish as well, a little dink over. I think on the coverage, they gave it a 3% chance of going in, which I thought was a bit ridiculous. Like It was definitely more than a 3% chance, but he finished that really well. And I don't know, yeah, when Ngaju Ngaje made it 2-0 um, from a set piece, I found out, I just, I looked at the, the lineup Hurfkins had gone with, especially the back three, and I'm like, yeah, I'm not really surprised that this is happening to them because Mechelen, like Boyata's not been great. Like it's been well documented, he's not been great. Mechler's like, I think Mechler's solid. I think he's a good player, but he can't do it all by himself in there. And he looked great. He looks great alongside Silla and Mata, or even Adoy's looked better in there. And then Bjorn Meyer was playing kind of left centre back, which I thought was a bit strange, especially with Adoy on the bench. I thought they'd definitely put in Adoy, but yeah, maybe wanting that left left footed player in there. They went for Meyer. Scott Olsen was on the bench, which was interesting. Sobel was preferred. Uh, Yelemchuk was back and that was much to the pleasure of the Ghent fans who unveiled a banner a la the Stephen Defoe kind of standardly aged red or dead Antwerp uh, Anderlecht against um, standardly aged one this one about being about traitors and stuff like that which I, just, I found a bit weird because it's like yeah, it's not like he left Ghent to go to Club Bruges he left Ghent to go to Benfica and, and Club Bruce spent a lot of money to bring him back. Like it's not like he purposefully was like, "Yeah, I'm going to go to Club Bruce and stick it to Ghent." Do you know what I mean? And it's like Ghent were never going to be able to afford to bring him back anyway. Like he just made the decision based on his career. Um, I thought that was a bit strange, but yeah, two nil. It finished to Ghent very efficient because only had two shots on target this whole game. Frustration again for for Club Bruce in this one. Just. It feels like they get a little bit of momentum going and then one of these defeats happens. And especially as now it closes the gap between them and Ghent to so only five points. Ghent starting to play a little bit, but yeah, I don't know what it is, Scott. Club Bruges, they just love playing against Club Bruges compared to playing against everyone else in the league. Well, they call this game the Battle of Flanders and um, the, 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 they're not wrong, uh, literally and metaphorically. Um, Ghent, obviously... 
hate Club Bruges and you know play very well against them or, or certainly have been doing recently when they've met each other that's for sure and um, they don't struggle to, to, to kind of get up for this game at all um, you know the Battle of Flanders um, I, well I mean there was trouble inside the stadium during the game um, and there was some really unsavoury stuff outside the stadium afterwards as well you know police right police getting involved water cannons coming out and you know yeah some Ghent fans and the emphasis is on some of course some Ghent fans managing to ruin what was a really, really good day for their their their, their side in the end. Um, you know, from club's perspective, I think, yeah, I mean, there are some question marks around the, the rotation. That's their third defeat off the back of a big European game now as well. So, um, interestingly, you know, after the second defeat a few weeks ago, Carl Hopkins was saying, no, no, there, there's no connection at all. I'm not sure you can really say that you know, having had a third defeat off the back of a game like that, because there, there, there is a pattern kind of developing, you know, along with the rotation for, for the game that comes that you obviously drop points in. So some some questions there. Um, I think the reality is, though, when you look at club's performance, I mean, if you played the way they did against most sides in the league, you, you won't get anything in a game. So um, it, it's 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 a combination, really, of, of, of Ghent being good and, and club, frankly, just being below par. Their fans were very, very unhappy this weekend with the performance, actually. Um, they're referencing the, you know, no sweat, no glory tagline, saying, you know, obviously, you know, if they don't put in the work then you're not going to get anything out of a game and they were not really happy with the the level of performance which I, I can understand because as I was saying play like that and most sides you will you, you won't get anything off so they know they need to do better and as we were saying earlier the gap between them now and and the Genkies is such that they really don't have a great deal of wiggle room left regardless of the points halving and I think they I think they know that um, and I think you know the the break now of, of of European football not not returning until February probably is is a bit of a relief at the moment. But then they do have a rather um, spicy and exciting um, draw against Benfica to look forward to, which some people are already referring to as the as the Yaramchuk derby. Um, which which amused me kind of greatly. Um, it's kind of unfortunate in that he probably won't see a great deal of game time over those two games unless something rather significant happens with with injuries around around the squad. Um, I'm glad you mentioned the banner actually because the, the the banner was pretty distasteful on a lot of levels, and I actually thought it was worse than the the famous Defoe one, of course, which which everyone remembers and, and and you referenced. Sometimes just you know bad choice of words. Um, can can land much more effectively than than a kind of graphic um, as it was in the Defoe one of you know the 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 headless the headless graphic and that really famous banner red or dead um, yeah I mean that that's strange I mean it's not it's not like um, uh, Ghent haven't signed any players from Bruges either so whichever way you look at the offence that supposedly they had it just seems strange particularly a player who who did so well for them. Um, you know, it's it's always disappointing for fans of teams to to lose um, a favourite and a player who's done so well for you. But you know, I I think to to turn it so dramatically in its head like that is just incredibly short sighted and frankly a bit moronic, really. Yeah, it was not good scenes. It really is. It's just flares on the pitch is becoming all too common at the moment as well, and that really does need to be stamped out. Especially as like the flares were thrown on the pitch. And uh, it was at like the Ghent end, so like it was like it wasn't like they were throwing them at the, at the opposition as well. It's like they're just lobbing them at their own players and own defenders. And good thing Nadi was kind of celebrating far away from the net because he could have been hit by that. And it's just like, what is going on? Um, yeah. I think it's, it's it's really interesting actually some of the the fan activity this this weekend as well because obviously the Kertrike fans or some of them didn't cover themselves in glory they had a rather nasty run in uh, with Christoph de Haan as well um, following their defeat to to, to kind of Ustend that made the headlines this week too um, which was kind of distasteful so I, I think people just need a I suppose it's a, a keep keep a keep a sense of perspective everyone. Yeah. No, 100%. And yeah, we'll definitely get to that quarter strike one and kind of what caused those that anger with their performance in that game. Um, let's go to Union, uh, to the Forest, and they played Vesta Low. And according to the stats I've got, I didn't actually, I wasn't able to watch you watch this game, but Union had 25 shots 
and only scored one goal, which is very un-Union-like in the fact that if you have 25 shots, you're predicting they've scored a couple. Uh, but they actually went behind. Lyle Foster really did quite well. He wasn't closed down, I don't think, well enough by the defence uh, from Union in this one. They just let him get all the way into the box, and he's only going to do one thing. He's in good form. He's got an eye for goal at the moment. He put it away, and it took Union until the 92nd minute. But that man, Gustav Nilsson, I feel like he only scores in like the late, late minutes of games. I haven't looked at it properly, but I'm pretty sure all his goals have come like 80 plus for them this season. Obviously the famous ones against Braga. But he popped up again 92nd to give them a one all draw. Veselo, I guess, will be a little bit frustrated that it, it happens so late. Um but for Union it keeps them unbeaten, keeps them solidly in playoff one. And for them they'll probably say, well we had so many chances, we were bound to put one of them away eventually. Yeah, I think Westerlo will be well annoyed um, not to have at least, um, well, they, they, they get a point, but um, they'll be so annoyed not to have, have, have left uh, Park Duden with with all three. Westerlo were actually quite good, I thought, um, you know, and probably did deserve um, all three in the end. Union, on the other hand, actually, I mean... <sighs> It's, it's, it's the efficiency thing, really. You know, it's, it's creating chances. I felt they had the better of the big chances, if you like, but just didn't do anything with it. Um, whereas normally you, you you would expect them to kind of do a little bit better, you know, like only one shot on target, you know, of, of the 25 in the game from their perspective is, is, is really pretty poor. And on the basis of that, you wouldn't really expect anything out of a game. Um, but that, that one shot on target was, was significant. Yeah, Gustav Nielsen um, loves the late late show really doesn't he you know what I mean he's, he's beginning to get a bit of a reputation for um, you know significant late moments um, domestically and, and and in Europe an important point for Union really if you think about it because um, you know it keeps them in playoff one which is important they'll be slightly frustrated they couldn't get more out of the game obviously just because um, club lost and I, I think from an Union perspective I think it would have been very good to have widened that, that, that gap um, over them. Um, decent game this though on the whole from two sides who, who've been playing some pretty good football this season I think. Yeah and speaking of kind of Union's decent football that they still haven't lost since the 11th of September and that was against Genk like in the league obviously they lost to uh, Union Berlin during the midweek but it didn't really matter at that point. Uh, they were already qualified from the Europa League so they have been on a ridiculously ridiculously good run including some kind of big wins and big points against some good teams so it, at least it keeps that kind of unbeaten run going they face standard like I said earlier and then kind of after that when they come back it's East End before into the new year first game the derby against Anderlecht so that could be quite a good one let's go to Anderlecht uh, they traveled to Antwerp Jan Vertonghen had to pull out before the game Slight concerns that maybe this was going to kind of be the end of his World Cup, but it looks like it's actually fine. It was just kind of precautionary. He was like given the chance to warm up. Something happened in the warm up, which is kind of a recurring, not recurring injury, but kind of an area that he's had an injury problem with. He was like, no, I don't think I can risk it, um, which is fair enough at that. He knows like, as um, as Velman said, he knows his body better than anyone. That's fine. They did get Adrian Treble back, which was quite nice to see him coming off the bench. Picked up a yellow card, classic Adrian Treble. Uh, but it finished 0-0, which I, I do think this was a better game than a 0-0. I felt like it definitely started with lots of energy. I thought Antwerp actually played pretty well. This is one of their better performances of the season. They just couldn't find the back of the net. Uh, for Anderlecht, Shouts for a penalty, like was a Muzu fouled? I've only seen like one or two replays and <laughs> could be given. Uh, they only managed one shot on target, which would be a bit frustrating for them, despite having a 53% of possession. But I think what's quite kind of reassuring, I guess we could say from this one, Scott, is you look at the back two, the centre-backs they had, Hannes Delquart and Zina Debas, two very, very young players. But... Yeah, I mean, Debas has been really, really impressive and he has to go to the World Cup. Like, it would just be stupid if he doesn't. But to have two very, very young defenders against a side like Antwerp with experienced striker like uh, Vincent Janssen, Frey coming off the bench, to keep a clean sheet, I think they can be pretty happy with that, all things considered. Vertonghen had to drop out quite like late minute. Um, Antwerp, on the other hand, they just, yeah, that's three now without a win. Uh, 
Uh, only one win in five. I guess this one's slightly different because it is against a team like Anderlecht, who do you expect to have a difficult match against? But they're another one of those teams that are just like, give us the World Cup break and let us just reset. Yeah, they can't all be classics. Um, and I, I say that in the sense that, you know, we know the Pro League is well known for, for having a high number of average goals per game. Um, but like you say, this wasn't wasn't a bad game, you know, for, for a nil-nil. Um, I think, yeah, I, it's interesting. I think on the penalty one, for me, that's a definite penalty, which you don't, you don't often get for, for shoves like that. But I felt, you know, Delcois' momentum was such that, um, yeah, that that, that, that was a, a pretty stonewall penalty for me. And I think a lot of people felt, felt surprised by that one this weekend. Um few, you know, interesting decisions, uh, should we should we say from from the officials uh, across Belgium this weekend. Aren't there all every weekend? Uh, but that that was definitely a penalty. I agree with you. I think the Bast must be in the World Cup squad. Um we'll find out um tomorrow, I think. Uh, tomorrow's the official announcement. Be very disappointing for him for him not to be there, I think. Um interesting as well, a bit of news from from Andrew less perspective, uh, Fabio Silva, uh, who's been looking a little bit sulky recently, um, obviously not happy being substituting games and coming off early and things like that. Um, Wolves, who he's on loan from, Wolves are, you know, for those who follow the Premier League in England will know, Wolves are in a bit of trouble at the moment. Um, and they are exploring the possibility of, of bringing Fabio Silva back early from his loan um, and are looking contractually at whether that's possible. Uh, my understanding is that there wasn't a recall option in the loan, so I'm not sure whether this is doable, but um, they, they are seriously looking into it as they attempt to kind of save their own arse, the Wolves. So we'll see if anything happens uh, with, with that one, because that's an interesting one, because you know he's obviously been scoring a, a reasonable amount of goals and would be a bit of worry if they were to, to, to lose him um, mid-season. Um, and Underlecht. I mean, yeah, I mean, another point for them. So, you know, not, not the end of the world and, you know, solid enough performance from, from Antwerp to kind of, kind of keep them in the mix because, you know, their form recently has has certainly been um, a bit worrying. Uh, Boutet had quite a good game, I thought. Uh, Yellow Bataille, who, you know, has been quiet for a long time, decent game as well, actually. Um, but yeah, yeah, they can't, they can't all be classics. Yeah, no, interesting you mentioned Bataille. Obviously, he's coming in for Sam Vines, who is injured and unfortunately going to miss the World Cup as well. Uh, yeah, the Fabio Silva one, it's really weird because I know uh, when they signed him, Andalette were like, no, no, there's no kind of recall ability. But then it's come out in the Athletic and you think normally the Athletic's quite a reliable source for information and stuff. And I'm not surprised because Wolves have been pretty poo and they can't score goals. Um, <laughs> so... Yeah, it makes sense for them to want to bring him back. But yeah, I think it would leave Antwerp in this kind of Andalek, sorry, in a tricky position um, without him. But he hasn't, the last couple of games, he hasn't been great, has he? So it's kind of like, does he want to go back? Or is it like, is this the fact, are we now seeing the Fabio Silva that struggled at Wolves and was kind of inconsistent? I know he's still a young player, but is this kind of the real one? that now the, the chips are down and it's getting a bit more difficult, he's not performing as well. Well, it's interesting that actually on, on him specifically because obviously Anderlecht at the moment we we know the kind of the, the the challenges that they face. So he's at a club at the moment um, who 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 are going through a kind of really difficult transition. Um, if I can describe it like that, it's probably a polite way of describing it. But then if he was to go back to Wolves, and to be honest with you, I don't see it. You know, if that clause isn't in the contract, then it's really not going to happen unless both clubs agree to to rip up that contract. And I. Anderlecht certainly are not going to do that if, if contractually it's to their advantage. But yeah, I mean, if he was to go back there, do you really want to be going back to a club that are having serious problems of their own with all of the pressure that comes in that? So I think bizarrely, from his personal perspective, I think there's probably less pressure on him to stay at Anderlecht and just to continue trying to enjoy his football and do as well as possible than there would be if he went back to Molyneux um, and was expected to, to score a battle load of goals and, and kind of keep Wolves in the league so you know my advice to, um, would be regardless of the clause in that you know stay stay in Brussels um, and keep, keep playing your football because you, you, you've you got European football to, to look forward to as well. Yeah now you make a good point with them obviously having got through against Siegerborg 
um, thanks to Rafayov and Benita Raman, who was back. And he had a yeah, really nice finish from Benita Raman, actually. So maybe it's time for some more Benita Raman. But I'm sure if you're an Andalek fan, you don't want to be wholly relying on Benita Raman. And I think outside of that, obviously, you've got, you've got the likes of Stroikens, Esposito, who's been pretty non-existent. Um, despite being named in one of those, you know, when they do those um, young, the best, like 100 young players or something, his name was in there. I was like, mm. that's interesting because we haven't seen any of that compared to young players. Like, <laughs> Joykin's in there instead, you know? Like, these are players we've seen a little bit more of. He's not really, yeah. Even despite Mazu going, Veldman coming in, we haven't really seen much of Esposito. So, yeah, interesting if that happens. But I agree with you, Scott. I think, I think we'll still, he'll still be here. And I hope so for his sake. I think he needs a full season in in Antelet to kind of get some confidence back because he's got nine goals. He's on a little bit of a drought. I think it's five games without one at the moment, but he'll he'll get back into it. And we've seen that he's got the quality in this league to score goals. Um, another player who's scoring goals quite happily at the moment is Fraser Hornby. Uh, what a great pickup he's been by Oostend. They entertained Courtlike in Dominic Talhammer's first game and yeah Hornby got the game going eight minutes in free kick just curled it around the wall into the bottom corner past Illich lovely finish from him been really enjoying watching Fraser Hornby actually in East End I think yeah like I said he's been a really good signing Gortike then probably arguably scored the goal of the game really really lovely football from them just out of nowhere a couple of one-touch passes lovely ball through yeah. Massimo Bruno with a really nice finish into the far corner past Phillips um yeah, and at that point, 1-1, I know Kustovic came out and said we were in the ascendancy and then Habib Keita gets sent off in the 33rd minute and it all just falls apart. Uh, Kustovic is already blaming the referee. As you said already, Scott, like the fans were really unhappy. Um, but then the player of the match kind of made a difference for me. Cameron McGeehan, this was under uh, Alexander Bless and this is what Cameron McGeehan was great at because he's such an energetic player. Like His pressing was really good. I just haven't felt like we didn't really see much of that under Eve van der Haag. Obviously, when Eve came in, they were like, yeah, he's going to press. He's going to keep the pressing game going. I haven't looked at the numbers or the stats or anything like that, so I may be completely wrong here, but it didn't feel like they were still doing that as much as they did under Blessing. But in this game, you saw McGeehan purposefully kind of playing more as kind of like a box-to-box midfielder in terms of pushing up, getting into the box, dropping back, like pressing as well. And he got a goal that he richly deserved in the 54th minute just by following the ball in. It's as simple as that. He followed it in and got it into the back of the net in the 54th. Kortlaik then did think they had a penalty. Avanati going down like a sack of spuds in the box. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I, I do think Sakamoto pushes him in the back. Like I don't, He goes down easily, but I was surprised that VAR overturned it. It did, um, much to the frustration of Kortlaik, who then were denied that penalty. Uh, but then Cameron McGeehan finished it off 96th minute. Uh, I think it's Thierry Ambrose with the nice feet in the box. He squares it. McGeehan strokes it into the back of the net. Dalham has come out and said after the game, I think that this he's not like, this is how we're going to play every game and it's going to be great. I think he's already kind of quite like, there's so much room for improvement here. But he'll obviously be delighted to get the win. Um I wrote an article for Get, Fo- uh, get Football for the Belgian and Dutch one. If people are interested about whether or not Kustovic is the man to get Kortrijk out of this, because, I mean, we had in the week Didier Lamkelzi coming out and saying, I'm better than Kortrijk, I'm going to Venom Kars again, even though he was there, but he didn't go, and then he was going to Cyprus, he didn't go, all this nonsense. But he's going there and he's like, I'm doing what's right for the team because I'm going to bring them in some money. Um, and it's like, well, you've not really done anything in the for the team. At Antwerp game, when you got the assist and you've got one goal, like, what are you doing? Um and then outside of that, like, I mean, it's just an absolute mess, really. It feels like Dehan going over to speak to the fans, the fans forcing the man into tears, which is really horrible to see. And he, to me, he came out and was like, it wasn't all the fans. Lots of fans were really nice and stuff. But as a captain to have that, and Kustovic has already come out and said, this isn't, people aren't acting like it's a family club anymore and blah, blah, blah. But I don't know, for me, it's like, it's because there's so much frustration with what how the club is being run at the moment, I think, and kind of the transfers and like the, the lack of kind of quality. Like the, one of the players who got sent off, obviously, Kate has been one of the better players this season. But this kind of performance, I felt like East End were just kind of, they wanted it more, um, if you could say that, which is you don't normally see that 
in matches. Normally teams are like both teams really want to win, but yeah, I just felt that Eastern really did want the game more. They wanted to win this game, and especially against the ten men, they were definitely the better side. But very, very concerned um, about Courtrike and the direction they're going with going in at the moment because they are just kind of they're sinking. Lamkazi is not going to play for them again, um, so that was just a complete waste of time and money spent there, wasn't it? Just for one win against Antwerp, um, which they haven't. I don't think they haven't won since then. They picked up a point. They're on a terrible, terrible run of form, and this just kind of sums it up, really. Yeah, I think there's a lot of disharmony in the Kurtrike camp. I think, I think things are not, not rosy there at all. And, and just, you know, it's a combination of things Kustovic says and fan fan interaction with the Han and just people are, you know, it's a squad and club that just doesn't doesn't feel together and doesn't feel like there's a, frankly, a good enough team spirit to get them out of the mess that they're in and is such that it looks like it's deteriorating a bit as well. You know, things s- spilling out into the public domain, um, like the Han's running, um, with some of the Kertrike ultras as well and I think there's a way of handling these things and, and that the, the fact that it was handled so badly suggests to me that, that things are, are, are really um, yeah, re- really not good inside the Kertrike camp at all, you know, and, and as I say are definitely deteriorating I think now from a new stand point of view um, Kusboy fans are going to be very pleased with me this week because I'm about to say some very nice things about the Kusboys. Um I think this was their best performance uh, probably since uh, Alexander Blesson was there. Um, this was a good game, actually. I really, I really enjoyed this game this weekend. I thought Ustain were really, really very good. Um, I think Dominic Talhammer's right. I mean, he'll be delighted. First game, you know, when you know, strong win, convincing one. Um, can't ask really for better than than that. But he's right. I mean, still a lot of room for improvement. I mean, he feels there is enough talent in this squad to kind of keep them safe. And I, I definitely agree with him in that. I mean, looking at the body language of the players during this game, um, I think the stories that we've been hearing for a number of weeks in the lead up to Talhammer taking over about there being a bit of disharmony in this camp and, and players perhaps not responding to Ivan der Eiger, um in the way that he would have liked over a period of time look to have been true. I mean, we were lucky to enough to have seen them up close recently when when Ustend went to the Bossel to, to play Antwerp and, and, and lost pretty convincingly um, that evening um, that, that, that me and you were there, Ben. And, and just the, the body language change this weekend was absolutely incredible. I mean, I, I did expect them to be better, you know, as you do when a new manager comes in. And Dominic Talhammer, I think, is a pretty good fit for this role. You know, they want to try and return to essentially that gig and pressing model and, and, and replicate the best element of that, that that Alexander Blessing put in place and Dominic Talhammer is is the almost perfect coach to do this um, the template that he, he applied at Circle is something that is going to apply here I think and I think they have players that that, that, that can work very well within that system. You mentioned um, Fraser Hornby, I was really impressed with him this weekend, he's, he's generally been good, he's now what, got five goals and 11 with one assist but he, you know he has pace and he has power and he's good in working in the channels and I think when you're when you're trying to play you know, a fast, aggressive, gig and pressing game and force your opponent into making mistakes, particularly in their final third, then, you know, he's he's an ideal player to, to, to kind of do that. And I think he's going to be a really useful weapon for them. And I think, um, judging on the evidence of this weekend, that, you know, he could he could really kick on even further and, and really enjoy himself under Dominic Talhammer, I think, because he's decent in the air as well. But it's what Usten did at key moments in this game that really, really was the difference. I mean, you look at some of the numbers Numbers, you know, some of the dual numbers are actually very close. There wasn't a great deal between the teams. It's where Ustend win the duels significant. It's winning the ball back in Kertrike's final third, so that within a pass of that, you know, they're right down their throat and creating opportunities. And you know what? I think. 24, 25 shots on goal, nine on target. I mean, that's pretty conservative. You know, really, um, w- when you look at their performance in this game, you know. Usten could actually have had four, five, or six if they'd been a little bit more clinical. They were they were that good offensively um, and doing all those basic things. You know the energy levels are up. They're winning their duels in key areas, which means they're creating chances. Um, and if they play like that most weeks, they will they they will get points off 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 most teams. 
Um, so I think lots of reasons for for Ustain fans to feel much more optimistic now, um, and you know I think they're going to become a, a better side to watch from that because judging by all of the evidence of this weekend, you know the players look happier and there seems to be a more kind of joyful joyful mood around around the Coos boys on the whole, which can only rub off positively on on all aspects of of their game now. Yeah, absolutely, and I think. What I loved was seeing Kenny Rocha Santos and Cameron McGeehan together in the midfield. Like I've, it was weird. Like Rocha Santos was kind of in and out of the side a little bit, but I feel like he's kind of a player that Valhammer will like in terms of like physicality and energy alongside of Cameron McGeehan. Like you've got two players in there who can get up and down the pitch, and they're not just runners. Like they have technical ability as well. Indy Boonen, it's just great to see him starting games after that injury. I felt like he was kind of the successor to Andrew Hulsager and it never really we never really got the opportunity for him to be that player. Um so yeah, there's there's just some really exciting players there that if they're playing good football, they are a good side to watch as um sorry, excuse me, as opposed to Kortzlaik, who they do have some exciting players like Faisal Amani. I thought Dylan and Bayer when he came on gave them a much better kind of option on the left hand side. I think we need to see some more of Dylan and Bayo. Um I just think he, he is a little bit raw in some senses, but he's more direct and just kind of gets them gets them moving and stuff. But yeah, I feel like we kind of had a chat today, Scott, didn't we? A little bit about transfer policy and like obviously we're talking about Lommel and like obviously they've got some really good wingers in that side and kind of some players there and teams being yeah. interested in those sort of players. And I think these bottom clubs, where possible, are going to have to really go out and be like, how serious are we thinking that we have we got enough with what we've got at the moment? Because I think Kortaik, although they brought in a lot of players, it clearly they haven't got enough at the moment. And East End, on the other hand, I think I do think they'll be active because I think they always are, but they're always kind of nichely active, and you never know whether the players are actually going to stay in the club or end up going to France. Um, so that's always kind of like an up in the air thing with them. But again, I think they could probably add a couple more in there to kind of give Thalhammer the kind of the best tools to work the system. Um, like with what Circular did, obviously they were always kind of improving and bringing in players. Like that's kind of the model that they have. Obviously, slightly different styles at the moment in terms of how Circular played to how Oostend are probably going to play. But yeah, a really good win for Oostend. Very impressed with them. That kind of opens up a five-point gap as well to like So that's kind of like, it's one of those classic things where it's like, oh yeah, it's a six-pointer sort of thing. Um, that's it from 1A. Let's go into 1B. We just mentioned it there. Scott, I'll hand over to you as per usual to kind of give us a rundown on all the, the craziness that was going on down there. Well, I don't say this very often, but it was a relatively quiet week um, in the Challenger Pro League this weekend in, in terms of sort of a notable action. Um, scores, in case you've missed them, um, Anderlecht under-23s won convincingly 3-0 um, against uh, Standard Liège, um, the baby classico, as some, as some call it. Um, Dendar lost uh, 1-0 at home to, to Molenbeek. Um, brilliant goal, by the way, actually, the, the Molenbeek goal. Uh, Florian Lajoncourt, uh, who's a centre-back, no less. Um, check our Twitter account out. Um, scroll back a little bit to see this goal because we shared it. Brilliant. Ball lofted into the box, far side of the box, and Lajoncourt just kind of lashes it on the volley uh, into the top corner. Just a, a, a brilliant goal at any level, that one. Um, Verton um, lost 1-0 at home to Denza. Denza, you know, real upturn in form recently. Good one in the cup last night as well, beating beating Oipen. Um Beveren uh beat Club Next 1-0 at home. Uh Lommel lost 3-1 at home to, to Beershaw and uh Liersa won 4-2 against uh Yong Genk. In terms of the bigger picture, Beveren, Beveren are top. Um Molenbeek are breathing down their neck as as we expected. You know, there's a little bit of chopping and changing between these two week week to week, but um they, they are the two sides really to to, to catch. Uh Liers are on a decent run of form as well. They are they're sitting in third at the moment. Um and will be kind of in in the mix for most of the season, uh, we suspect. I mean, we were lucky enough to see them in, in person in our recent visit in Belgium and I think 
they will they will certainly give most sides um, a, a run for their money, and you know we'll we'll be hoping to kind of push for uh, a promotion spot as hard as as hard as possible. Um, the, I think the big story in terms of teams at the moment, obviously Denza, as I was alluding to, have had a real upturn in form. Uh, Mark Grosjean since he's come in, they've won their two league games and obviously a, a good win in the cup for them last night. So they they've now gone from um, you know pretty much the bottom of the table and and really descending rapidly into a decent run of form with just two or three wins and are, are now not too far away from what will be a playoff one spot there. So um, you know they're kind of the story at the moment and that their their upturn of of form. But yeah, uh, Beveren Beveren back top um, and Molenbeek, um, you know squeaking just behind them. Yeah, and Beveren have some the big two really big games coming up actually don't they in the next kind of couple of weeks obviously next week they hold host lease uh, they go to lease sorry uh, on sunday mm. and then they host uh, molenbeek the week after so that's going to be i think if, if obviously if lease win that they they leapfrog beveren but if beveren win that they can extend that gap between them to five points and then yeah the molenbeek game is going to be massive um should be a great atmosphere for that one as well you'd imagine um it's worth pointing out as well, actually, just just kind of before um, we move on from talking about the Challenger Pro League, Ben, as well, that we're just over halfway now towards the playoffs um, there. So it's, it's hitting a really, really important time of the season in the in the Challenger Pro League. And, of course, the other factor here is the Challenger Pro League has no break for the World Cup. So it'll be going right through as well. Um, so um, it'll be interesting to see how that pans out for, for some sides. Yeah, no, definitely. And I guess if you're missing club football during the World Cup, you can always tune into a little bit of the Challenger, uh, for a little bit of chaos. Um, I think that's about it for this week. We've managed to get through everything. Uh, and I don't think we've made too many mistakes. So hopefully it'll be fine. Again, apologies if the sound <laughs> levels are bad or anything like that. Like we just, yeah haven't had the capacity to be able to change that so yeah like i said you're getting the stripped back og version of the podcast this week scott as always thank you for joining me it's a pleasure um always a delight to talk about uh belgian football and uh hopefully the the mighty triumvirate will be back together again um next week and there is a a, a little birdie tells me that i might be on the radio next week talking about belgium at the world cup so if you're in the uk and you listen to bbc radio 5 live particularly during the night which i'm not i'm sure not all of you will it's going to be at a rather um strange time um i'll be um on bbc radio 5's doton adebayo and tim vickery show um talking about um the red devils and what to expect from them in qatar yes absolutely definitely going to be worth a listen there as always thank you very much to everyone for listening as scott said hopefully we'll be back as a three next week next week will probably be the last one for a little bit just because yeah it'll be just before the world cup and the last kind of matches in the pro league before then and we'll probably take a little bit of a break um but after that end of december we'll be right back into it with pro league action if you like what we do please do leave us a review in your podcast app of choice because we really do appreciate it if you've got any questions even about the world cup and the red devils and all that do get in touch in the usual ways but as always thank you very much for listening and we'll speak to you very soon on another episode of the belgian football podcast <laughs>